that music can only mean one thing. The Delaware Valley Journal is on the air, the podcast of DelawareValleyJournal.com. I'm Michael Graham with Inside Sources. We hope you're getting our twice-a-week newsletter. If you're not getting the Delaware Valley Journal newsletter, just go to DelawareValleyJournal.com. You'll see the little box on the right. Click there and please sign up. And as always, we ask you to follow us on Twitter, DV underscore journal, and on Facebook, Delaware Valley Journal as well. A very special highbrow edition of the podcast with our news director, Linda Stein, and a very special guest. Well, regular listeners of the Delaware Valley Journal podcast know we run a pretty low rent operation around here. We usually talk to ne'er-do-wells and rapscallions and people from the dark, seamy underbelly of public life, you know, like politicians. So we're going to change that up. We've gone to the elites now. Professor Robin Kolodny is the chair of the political science department at Temple University. We don't usually have intellectuals join us, Professor, so thanks so much for your time. You're welcome, although I'm not sure you'll say intellectual at the end. <laughs> don't, don't ask me to say it again. I can barely pronounce it, so let's stick with that. So I just want to start with a, a, a broad question, uh, because you've been watching the changes in Pennsylvania. One of the uh, topics of conversation nationally about American politics is the possibility of Pennsylvania uh, Senate, the Pennsylvania Senate seat flipping when Pat Toomey retires and helping Democrats hold on to their 50-50 tie plus one majority. Other people have said, wow, if you'd told us 15 years ago that Pennsylvania would even be competitive for the U.S. Senate at, at this point, we'd have said, no way, the state is getting bluer and bluer all the time. So let me ask you, Professor Clodney, how purple is Pennsylvania really? All right. Well, it's pretty purple. I mean, that's what we saw in in 2020 and 2016 and um, and other races in between. It is probably becoming a little bit lighter purple toward the blue um, edge because of the population shifts. And this is something that's happening in one direction or another all over the country. You know, people do uh, move from places or they're more likely to come to certain places than others. And Southeast Pennsylvania is a very hot area right now for a lot of inward migration, either people from other states or people from other parts of Pennsylvania. Meanwhile, um, parts of the Southwest and center uh, of Pennsylvania are, are leaking population, I guess. Uh, and that's not surprising. I mean, you can just look at, uh, general employment trends. And, and for me, of course, because I'm in higher ed, uh, if you look carefully at the State Institution of Higher Education Consolidation, that tells you a, a whole lot about how much the state is changing and where. So uh, you're talking about uh, academic achievement, which is one of the big markers for uh, voting behavior. Uh, you know, in the, for a long time, you know, let's call it the you know Reagan era that I would argue ended around when the Obama era began. You really had Republicans doing well with white college-educated uh, voters, particularly uh, 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 those who were you know own their own business, et cetera, as opposed to the people who work in academia. Not that everyone in academia is a screaming lefty professor. I would never say that, but you know, but that that tended to be the trend. Uh, do you see that shifting in Pennsylvania with uh, these uh, one-time trending Republican suburban college-educated voters now uh, uh, push, you know, moving more towards the Democrats? Well, so I, I would push back a little on that and tell you that I think that the, the, the historical pattern 
of those white college educated people was a lot more split, maybe very slightly Republican. But so what's changing is the opposite has happened, is that the um, the shift is more pronounced in the Democratic direction. But I will I will say to you, and this is really important to keep in mind, that when when we are studying this nationally and even at regional levels, it seems pretty clear that the Democratic Party's issue positions have stayed stable or, if anything, gone a little bit more moderate, while the Republican Party's issue positions have moved much farther to the right. And so I've always thought, you know, as, as long as I've uh, been living and working here, that what's so interesting about Pennsylvania is that you know, they Pennsylvanians do have this middle, this moderate um, proclivity, and they're able, or enough voters are able to figure that out when the parties split. So for example, when I first moved here, it was a year before the 92 presidential election, where Pennsylvania voted for Bill Clinton and reelected Arlen Specter. Now that looked to other people like, isn't that crazy that Clinton uh, wins, but uh, the Democratic senator doesn't? I'm like, no, actually it isn't because ideologically they occupied about the same space. Lynn Yackel uh, was more, definitely more liberal than Bill Clinton. So, you know, that's another way of saying that if you're looking for the right mix of um, issue positions, then possibly the Democrats now are much closer to what you want than the Republicans. Uh, turning to the governor's race, Professor, um, what, what are you seeing there? It seems like there are tons of Republicans in the field already and more thinking about joining. Well, whereas the Democrats have no one um, except Josh Shapiro, who hasn't even declared yet. Yes. Well, I think that's, well, that's a big problem for the GOP, and they know it. Um, the more that you have a, a lot of people and none of them really rising to the top, uh, the less easy it is to get people excited about the race and turnout will be um, something that's compromised. So uh, that that's it's so interesting because uh, I just you know was looking at also the geographic distribution of people and you know they kind of are all over the place. But um, as currently the, the declared candidates are clustering in southeast Pennsylvania, which is never a good thing because splitting the area um, makes it harder for each of them to break out. And, you know, it's a hard state to, to travel to and to try to get people, you know, if you're from Chester County to go to up to Erie and see that you can get some excitement, it's not such an easy thing. What issues do you think they should be focused on then to uh, bring out that excitement in the base? Well, for Republicans, uh, that's going to be really interesting at the moment. And I think it's very muddled because now you've got Biden's approval ratings dipping, but mostly because of foreign policy issues, which tend, of course, not to be at all um, what governor's races are about. Meanwhile, you just had, uh, I guess it's either this morning or yesterday, that Josh Shapiro in his role as attorney general just filed a lawsuit over the um, attempts to audit uh, the 2020 election. And that is likely to get a lot more coverage because of what just happened with the California recall election. And 
the so the takeaway point there is that you didn't even have a close recall election and it cost the state 276 million dollars now it's not going to cost us anywhere close to that but still um you could do very well at uh at making republicans have to defend or be against the reason for uh that in terms of the state and that that might you know it depends on where people fall i'm sure that the republicans are are not united about whether it that's an important thing to do or not so that could further split the party you're saying oh yes oh yes because it's look if you really if you want to to win any office you you've got to be more forward than than you know rear looking right so it nobody's going to be able to get anybody out of office that you know has a uh, election certification from 2020 some people will will believe that there was some big injustice and you have to do it but others will say you know that's that's bygones are bygones what you're going to do next so yeah i do think that that has a potential to to uh to put and and republicans you're going to have to take a position on this you can't say well i don't really know because it's a pretty straightforward question Okay. You mentioned uh, earlier uh, shifts. I'm curious about the changes that you're seeing in specifically the Delaware County, Southeast Pennsylvania, Delaware, uh, Delaware Valley, excuse me, Delaware County, yes. Chester County, et cetera. What, what do you find interesting politically that's going on in that corner of the state? Well, more more uh, Democratic voters, you know, higher Democratic turnout and also just raw incre increased population density. So when redistricting is going to happen, you know, however it's going to happen, it, the, it's clear the seats that we lose is not coming from this part of the state, but not coming from the Delaware Valley region, uh, because that's where the growth is. And the, it's fairly significant. So, you know, the western part of the state or the middle part of the state, that's that's going to be um, where the, the transition has already happened. That is, the people have have left. Um, and, you know, so because some of the uh, decline is fairly significant in a few of those counties. It's not just a, about people not moving. It's about people actively leaving. So uh, that is why, you know, we, it's seldom that have, we've had both, you know, uh, Delaware County, Chester County, these regions now now trending Democratic. That's just not something we're used to um, to considering. Right. Uh, well, the one thing we do know with the Republicans handling redistricting is that Connor Lamb is completely safe in his seat. I can't imagine they would possibly uh, <laughs> redraw that seat. Uh, one more question before we go back to Linda, and that is uh, talking about the uh, ideology inside Pennsylvania, how voters behave and the purpleness, et cetera. How closely are the uh, uh, elections in Pennsylvania linked to the national mood so that in 2010, you had a national tide away from the Democrats and the Republicans picked up 63 seats in the uh, in Congress right. in 20, uh, 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 2008. You had this you know big push the other way, et cetera. Is Pennsylvania a bellwether state or is the politics so local that it crashes in on the edges, but it maintains its own keystone state equilibrium? Oh, that's really interesting. Um, I don't know, you know, this term bellwether is kind of odd, but you know what, I, I probably, um, probably we are somewhat of a, a bellwether state, but let me, my, the election you didn't uh, mention, the one that should give national Democrats some, uh, some cheer is what happened here in 2018. So in 2018, a midterm election, so the last time that um, Tom Wolf was reelected, we had unprecedented turnout. 
Now that also happened in a lot of the other um, uh, states, but it was really pronounced in Pennsylvania. And if you recall also, um, it's, I guess it was Connor Lamb, it's the, the special election uh, about six months after Trump's reelection where um, a, a, a district that went 20 points for the Trump candidate then has a democratic win. That was also, it turned out to be a, a bellwether for, for things to come. And so I, I think, you know, in any election, in any, at any point, turnout is the name of the game. And the variation is absolutely on the Democratic side. See, Republicans turn out more consistently. They always have. The, um, the old saying uh, from way back is that a rainy day is a Republican day because it doesn't matter if it rains or not. Republicans will come. They will, you know, they will stand in the line. They will do their thing. It's the Democratic voters that are more fickle. And then that's always Democrats' problem is that although there are definitely more of them in terms of registration and so forth, the trick is to get them to come if it's raining. But and wasn't the reason for the 2018 turnout Trump? And now that Trump is not, at least as far as I know, he's not going to be on the ballot in 2022. Uh, how are the Repo Democrats going to match that energy without their number one vote oh, getter, Donald minute. J. Trump? Remember, now, this is, I'm glad you said that. So uh, yes and no with Trump, because remember that 2018 started out with uh, a new map that uh, for the congressional seats that then promised to give the Democrats a shot at getting representation that was more like what the population in the state was instead of what had happened previously, where um, you know, our map got thrown out and uh, much to the Republicans' disappointment, uh, Samuel Alito had several opportunities to step in and, and stay that, you know, like stop that map from getting implemented. Right. And he declined to do so each time, which I think Republicans and that, you know, that's also what happened uh, after 2020, after the election, they wanted to, um, you know, Alito was, is again, our, our guy, our writing guy who could say things. And again, he did the same thing. He waited his two weeks and he said, yeah, not interested. So this is a problem for the state's um, Republicans, because they figured that they, you know, they had some kind of moral high ground uh, with some of these issues and then they, to keep losing. I mean, I knew they were gonna lose the 2021 because of the 2018 one, I thought they had a much better chance of getting, right? I would say too, really, you're gonna change all the filing deadlines and everything just because of this late map. I, you know, I would've gone, I might've gone for that, but that's not what happened for them. So it's really tough for them. So, Professor, um, do mail-in votes and uh, the changes that allow uh, it to be easier to mail your vote in, that favors the Democrats, right? Oh, without question. I was just looking at the, um, the returns from 2020. And uh, yes, that uh, the Democrats are soundly beating their opponent on mail-in ballots, and they are losing uh, not everywhere, not uniformly, but they're losing in most places on just the, the in-person machine votes. So yes, that's that's a huge, well, and we, by the way, we've known, we're not surprised to see something like this in political science because the poorer you are, the less likely you are to have work-friendly hours for voting and less likely you are to have good access to transportation and these kinds of um, problems. So that is why we know that uh, the mail voting thing was huge. But remember when the state changed their electoral law, 
they um, the, the compromise was uh, Republicans said, Democrats, fine, we'll give you the mail-in ballots. And uh, if in return, you have to get rid of the party, the straight party voting. Now, you, it, at first blush, you look at it and say, well, you know, look, I guess that didn't turn out so well um, for the Republicans, but then hold the phone. Nobody expected the Republicans then to win state auditor and state treasurer, and they absolutely did. So uh, Josh Shapiro is the only line um, uh, office that, uh, that, that, that does well because of, you know, despite the, um, the loss of the straight party ticket, but also let me, uh, to put the, the governor's race uh, in context for you, I don't think a lot of people dwell on this, but they probably should. In 2020, at the end of the day, Joe Biden got 3,000 fewer votes in Pennsylvania than Josh Shapiro did. Let me say that again, Josh Shapiro outperformed Biden statewide. So how much of that his performance uh, do you think has to do with him going after the Catholic Church on the um, pedophile issue? Yeah, that is probably a lot of it. And also, again, that's why I'm saying that uh, as this lawsuit against the recount um, will go through, it, the same kinds of things will happen that, yes, when you get a reputation as being, you know, activist in uh in championing things, then yeah, people will respond. He also did campaign. Uh, he had a lot of commercials and things, not maybe in this part of the state, but in other parts of the state that we wouldn't normally expect for um, a line item. But you know, that's obviously him testing out some things for this next run. So you think Josh Shapiro's uh, name recognition will serve him well, whereas the Republicans, since they don't have a front runner yet, are handicapped? Yes, absolutely. There's no question about that. That's why things are a little more even, I suppose, in the uh, the Senate race, because while there are um, a couple of front runners, it's not it's not a slam dunk for anybody on either side of the primary. But so in the Senate race, they're they're sort of equally as scattered. But um, but, the you know, the Democrats in the well, Josh Shapiro in particular in the governor's race has been really very clever. Well, a slam dunk is having a podcast and inviting Professor Robin Kolodny to join you from Temple University. That's what I call a slam dunk. We really appreciate your time. Thanks so much. No problem. Thanks for having me. Thanks, Professor. Okay. And thank you for listening to the Delaware Valley Journal podcast. If you have questions, comments, please email dvjnews at insidesources.com. And as I mentioned earlier, please sign up for our newsletter at DelawareValleyJournal.com and follow us on Twitter, DV underscore journal. I'm your host, Michael Graham.